Hello. So in career conversations, I've always had the pleasure of having young dynamic professionals as well as let's say the CXOs of the world. So today I have Ankit Dhanuka. Why I brought him on the show was his unique path in the MNA zone. So a lot of us have interest about what about chartered accountants landing up in mergers and acquisitions. So Ankit is someone who has worked like in article ship in PwC, then subsequently worked in transaction advisory in EY, then Tata Steel MNA and now Mahindra and Mahindra MNA. So he's going to give you some solid advice on MNA. So welcome to the show, Ankit. We really hope to learn a lot from you. Thanks, Anurag. Thanks for having me here. It's really a privilege to kind of you know, be part of this uh, show. I was kind of looking forward as to when I get a chance when you invite me and share some of my experiences. And, you know, we, we go a long way back uh, uh, being family friends and also, yeah, yeah get to be, you know, it's great to be here. And uh, uh, I look forward to share some of my experiences, which I believe will benefit, uh, you know, the, the wide audience which you have. Yeah. So my first question to you is, you are a Kolkata Marwadi Chartered Accountant. And so tell us one thing about your formative years in Havra, you know, we stay in the same town that really shaped yeah, yeah. you as an individual. So were you always amongst those front branches, the studious ones, the blue eyed guys of the teachers in school and college. So let's start with this. Right. So I'll answer that question possibly in, you know, two uh, parts, one on the lighter note and then a little bit on the serious note. So, Kolkata, Marwadi, CA, coal Madhus as we are, you know, very famously or infamously recognized as across India and in lot many cities, we, we kind of, uh, you know, are, are recognized as a different class, I would say. And there are uh, two good reasons for it. One is, I mean, so many people have come across really believe that the breed of CAs which come out from Kolkata are really hardworking and you can really bank on them that they will, you know, give an all in their heart in the work and deliver as to what they are expected to. And secondly, they are known as a very, very miser community and who, who would possibly uh, want, want to indulge in too much of luxuries of life. So that's the kind, you know, uh, coal madhus CAs are being uh, classified as. But uh, that's on the lighter note side. On the, on, on the serious note to the question about, you know, my formative years, uh, as you know, I come from a, you know, uh, uh, the same uh, uh, background of parent. Uh, my father was also into uh, a job and uh, I did not have a business background. So I was brought up in a very humble background, uh, uh, wherein together with education and uh, studies, a lot of focus was also given to the value system in which you are brought up. So there were a lot of, uh, you know, uh, 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 I would say uh, values around like honesty, integrity, uh, discipline, all those things were imbibed quite early in life, which, which uh, you know, you are expected to carry forward in whatever you do. And I believe it really helps, uh, you know, uh, someone uh, throughout his life. So I am an individual who are really driven by those, you know, very basic value systems, which was imbibed into me by my parents. And I still uh, find it very, very difficult to kind of compromise on those because being in the corporate life, uh, you would understand that, you know, there are a lot of situations which you possibly face wherein you are expected to kind of, uh, you know, uh, compromise on some of this. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yes, uh, uh, if you have to, uh, I as an individual is, an, is someone who's uh, uh, really very strongly driven by, you know, such core value systems. 
and shijan vidyalay teachers zavier's professors would look at you as a front bencher or the guy who was like yeah i i, I was the studious kind uh, uh, always uh, type you know kind of uh, on the top 3 top 4 uh, performers at school level and till my college levels uh, uh, that did help in a lot of aspects of uh, you know uh, career uh, planning career growth but it has its own pros and cons okay so all you three brothers uh, saurav uh, who works with wipro you work with mnm and shivam works uh, now with pedelite earlier was with uh, lupin and so uh, so all of you are chartered accountants so there is so much of homogeneity what drew all of you into that same course didn't you think of variety in life <laughs> so so i was uh, i am actually an accidental chartered accountant and i'll give you the uh, anecdote behind it and I, i think there were a couple of similar instances shared by others also on your show uh since i was the studious kind uh, and kind of you know always in the uh, in the top ranks uh those were the times where in uh, science was the in thing and you know every top performer would want to go into the field of science and commerce was more of a you know fall back options for people who could not get into science so i was also driven by the same uh, uh, charisma i would say towards science without really giving too much of uh, you know thought as to whether i would really want to uh, went to science whether i have the capability uh, uh, kind of cope up with what uh, is required for you know getting into science and getting and clearing those competitive exams uh, immediately after my 10th i went ahead and enrolled for uh, tuition uh, to you know uh, start preparing for iits and jees uh very determined that i will join science after the results are out but somewhere uh, in my household which was i mean in my family there is not even a single example uh, uh, of someone who would have taken science so my father was always very skeptical and my elder brother who was already into chartered accountant accountancy course by then was also not uh, very sure whether you know that would be a uh a uh, a field because it was a completely unexplored field uh, uh, for someone in the family and uh, there was always a fear of failure which was there uh, and uh, uh, for that matter commerce was always always considered as a more secured uh, balanced uh, uh, you know career option so uh, after the 10th results were announced i was few marks uh, short in the science subjects uh, and had to take up commerce so much so that uh, uh, i i went ahead and uh, you know uh, got my papers reviewed and in subsequently my marks increased to kind of cross the uh, uh, cut off levels but by then the train had left the station so i stuck with commerce and uh, when i look back i realized that possibly that was the uh, right thing which happened uh, and, and, you know that's where uh, destiny wanted me to be there uh, because uh, i have seen a lot of my friends lot of good friends uh uh studious friends i would say who who landed up in science but they really struggled to kind of you know find uh, 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 their feet in the competitive exams and i do realize that possibly i also was not that i was not the material uh, uh, for science so i i thought even i mean you know whatever happened happened to me i i can completely agree because uh, driven by that same thing i took up science studied there for two years qualified in entrance exams but knew that since there is no one to act as a backup in case something goes wrong then i shifted to commerce you know that becomes a quite a tricky thing we had like devang koshniwal earlier who also 
had gone to Kota, but then came back and then joined Commerce. So there is obviously yeah. a lot of uh, serendipity here. Now you join PwC Stat Audit, and that is something which is uh, like a big four article shape, like a very yeah. very storied thing in the CA world. So is it really worth it, uh, Ankit? Like with the studies. Uh, do you really think that it's worth taking that pressure? Does it help you in placements after CA? What if someone has missed the bus? Look, articleship is something which has got a lot of questions that come in the mind of a youngster. So again, uh, you know, before articleship, I would put it, uh, uh, you know, has seen its phases uh, of importance. When I had joined the PWC as an article, that was the first year when the number of articles uh, a CA could undertake under him was increased from I think two or three to ten, right? So before our batch, uh, PWC used to take only two or three articles every year, and when I had joined, it had taken fifty articles in one batch, right? So. Till the time I joined, it was always a dream to, you know, get through any of the big fours for articleship because they used to invite only the rank holders and they used to really interview them and take only the rank holders uh, 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 in the articleship training. And that was really, really a big thing and possibly a dream for every CA, uh, uh, you know, who take that course, who look forward to get into articleship in the big four. Uh, when I had joined PWC, I, I had a rank in enter. And basis that I was invited for the interview, and uh, the interview etc. went well, and I and I got through it. But uh, I saw there were like 50 others, other candidates, uh, and most of them, most of them I would say were through you know client references or various other influences that would have happened because there was a shortlisting criteria, but. Uh, 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 because of whatever reasons, because they had to fill in 50 uh, seats. Uh, uh, various kind of filters were applied. So over the period, I've realized that, you know, the importance which it carried has kind of diluted a bit. Having said that, it is still worth it. I would personally believe that whatever I learned from, uh, you know, being from my articleship in PWC still helps me a lot. Because uh, there are two, three reasons to it. One is uh, you get into that complete corporate uh, uh, environment very early in your life you i joined pwc when i was like 20 just you know still in my college from college we used to go for articleship so for a 20 year old getting the feel of that entire corporate environment gives you really an insight as to how the future would be looking like and then you can start planning and thinking about what do you really want to do in future there were a lot of people who kind of realized that you know this kind of work environment is something which is not their cup of tea and they really made up their mind that they would possibly want to business. Someone like me could identify my career choice very early. Uh, uh, that, you know, possibly m and is the space I would like to explore more. Others could uh, identify audit or taxes and as their own career choice. So, you know, it, it had that edge. Secondly, one of the things uh, which, which generally a CA course lacked and, it, and they have still not been able to fill up that gap uh, was on the overall soft skills and uh, uh, personality development and grooming part of it. So someone, uh, you know, who, who's not very outgoing early in his life, uh, a stint, a three-year stint with a firm like PwC or another big four really helps you where you are, you know, in client-facing situations uh, throughout your, uh, uh, through your day, every time, and you are working directly with others. You, and there would be formal trainings every now and then where you would be, uh, uh, where you will be undertaking various soft skill trainings. Uh, 
which becomes very important early in your life and it, it really helps you groom into a, a, a professional so uh, i would say it did give an edge and uh, maybe up to an extent early in your career wherein you are going for your campus placements or you know as a fresher to a company for interview someone if there are five people in the room of which you are the only pick for obviously you will have some bit of an edge over over them you will will get a priority of interview possibly over the rest four but then ultimately it boils down to uh, your own skills your own talent uh, there i believe it doesn't make too much of a difference all right so then uh, you joined uh, not uh, ey transaction advisory services that was a dream profile normally like people think that it is investment banking but i think that it is slightly different we'll look at it in the next question so how did task in ey happen so is there some criteria like you have to be first attempt only you need to have a big four article ship only tell us quickly about that as well there is a hard and fast rule about the number of attempts uh, number of attempts is again i think kind of a myth which has been created by a lot of other corporates where they really filter on the basis of attempts you have uh, taken to clear the uh, exams talk about uh, uh, me uh, i had a rank in enter but i took two attempts to clear my final so Uh, uh, it really did not matter in you know getting through ey task the basic requirement is you need to have a strong audit background and definitely some bit of uh, big four background uh, while there are exceptions when people have gotten into uh, uh, transaction diligence financial diligence to be uh, due diligence to be very precise without a big four experience but those are those, those will be very few uh, number of people so even if you have you know not done your article ship from a big four but if you have a decent audit background from during your article ship and say a year year and a half stint later on after qualification with a big four uh, you will be able to get through uh, ey tas of course uh, subject to the test and interview checks which they apply all right so uh how is it different from management consulting or investment banking because a lot of people tend to kind of confuse between a mckinsey bain bcg or a bank of america investment banking with task so what the typical assignment huh? so what are the typical assignments that you have do you get also exposure to valuation are work hours long lot of yeah. questions around this there are too many questions let's uh, possibly go in parts yeah so uh, first question whether it is different or similar to management consulting it's very very different and it also depends on the kind of stream in due diligence you have opted for uh, so there could be a business diligence aspect there could be a financial diligence aspect there could be tax due diligence aspect uh, uh, technical diligence aspect so hence you know uh, and lot of others uh, a chartered accountant usually practices in two fields financial diligence and tax diligence now if you have opted for financial diligence the key thing which you will be doing is basically uh, you know looking at the historical financials analyzing them in much more detail to identify trends and benchmarking them against the prevailing industry standards industry practices and recommending to your client whether you know, those are solid enough to go ahead with the transaction or not that's in that's a one liner brief of what you would be doing in a financial due diligence while in management consultancy that's not the case in management consultancy you would be working very very closely with the company management itself 
to kind of identify various commercial and business business aspects where you feel there are gaps and you will advise the management of the company how to go about it for the overall growth uh, or betterment of the company so the the whole objective of two things are very different when you are doing a diligence from a buyer's perspective you are actually approaching a third you know a, a company wherein you have nothing to do with you have no interest attached to that company you are working precisely for your client to advise them in the best interest as to what's really going on in that company and whether it's really worth buying that company or management consultants don't advise you on that aspect they will advise you how's the health of the company what could be done to kind of improve the health of the company and how to really go about scaling up so they will not identify synergy areas between uh, uh, one company and the ident- uh, uh, acquiring company right that that's something which possibly a business due diligence guy would do Uh, for you or your own internal uh, uh, business people will kind of you know through their experience in the market identify what are the probable targets where you can really generate synergies uh, from which companies and you identify those targets so that's that's getting into the m&d management consultancy uh, will again help you with identifying certain goals uh, of growing a company uh, from an organic and inorganic perspective but they will really not go and advise you on a particular do you do valuation as well as and do you prepare financial models also in uh, transaction so, advisory so transaction advisory again in most of the big four are divided into two three uh, sub divisions there would be a separate uh, expert team on valuations and then there would be team on uh, taxation diligence there would be team on financial diligence if you are part of financial diligence you won't be expected to run a full fledged financial model and do a valuation because then it becomes a conflicting uh, uh, assignment because someone who is doing the diligence also is also running the valuation and valuation being you know more of an art uh, as you know uh, there is a there is a part of the conflict of interest but uh, in your financial diligence assignments you are expected to have a good understanding of how valuations are done because then it's on those parameters you would be advising your client that you know uh, 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 how would the how's the profitability trend of profitability trend how's the cash flow how's the working capital cycle so that the client can appropriately factor it in their financial models so i would say while you will really not be building the models but you really need to have good understanding of uh, the kpis uh, of every company you are diligencing to it's going to be a deep dive into the acquired companies uh, financials and operational performance so there will be so that will be a lot of interesting work also right and assumptions and assumptions which your client would have kind of taken to build up the valuation because you would have your discussion with the client as to what are the kind of assumptions you were taking into valuing this company and then you will go and test those assumptions against the historical performance of the particular company so would you come across incidents like bogus sales or circuitous sales and all those things several times several times i still remember i was auditing a company based out of chennai and uh, uh, the entire purchase register and sales register were i would say uh, inflated so much so that you know uh, they had gone ahead and prepared bogus invoices and filed into their uh, books so Uh, 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 and this was an uh, this was an assignment for a private equity guy, and you know how a private equity guy works. For them, the revenue growth and profitability growth is the most important thing. Uh, and when we went ahead and advised, look, fifty percent of the sales is just does not exist. The, the assignment was called up within uh, a week or so. 
Oh my God, that is quite exciting. Yeah. So, so you know, the interesting part of for for someone who would be looking uh, for a career in this uh, uh, field in financial diligence is like you kind of pick up from where you would have left during your audit days, right? I always kind of summarize it that you know financial due diligence starts where audit ends. While a lot of people feel like uh, it is still very much like audit, I have a very very big point of view against that theory. Uh, while you will to a certain extent do you know tests and checks which are similar to audit, but at a at some point in time you will just take the numbers from financial audited financial statements as given. Right. You are not going to question those whether those audited numbers are correct or not, and then you start applying great analytical, uh, 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 you know, tools to those numbers. Uh, analytical review as part of audit, uh, 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 one is expected to do, but in Indian audit scenarios, those are to a very very limited extent. But when you are looking at the same numbers from a financial due diligence point of view, you will go to Kind of monthly, quarterly, or weekly analysis of those numbers, and bring out the hidden aspects of uh, you know how really the business is run and whether those uh, uh, numbers really, uh, when benchmarked uh, benchmarked against the industry standards, make sense or not. And it's on those aspects you advise your clients, right? So it, it's a great, great uh, tool for learning about the nuances of of the business a particular company is operating. You need to do a lot of research about the particular industry in, when a, in which a particular target is uh, uh, working, so that you are able to bring out those aspects and you know advise your client. Uh, a, a, a client who is looking to acquire a company will simply not acquire based on their audited books. Right? They would want you to give them and bring out facts which are not there in the audited books. And for that, you really need to kind of Analyze the numbers to whatever levels you can, and that's where it is a it is really different from what you've been used to doing. In audit, the objective is only to test the accuracy of a particular number. Here, the objective is much much beyond than testing the mere accuracy of that. Particular. Someone is putting his hard-earned money on the basis of these numbers. They are buying exactly. into this company. Okay. Exactly. So this kind of fantastic analysis that we have does it also come at the cost of long hours? Sleepless nights. Do you travel a lot, or is this data more given in like virtual data room (VDR)? Right. So these things are evolving, you know, over time. Uh, when I had joined uh, uh, EY, and that was way back in the year 2010, when I started as a you know freshly qualified chartered accountant in the financial diligence team, this scenario was there. There was there were not too many of electronic data rooms which were set up, and everyone wanted the consultants to be in their office working on the Files, uh, the files would be given to you over a pen drive or a CD or 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 a desktop, which would be set up uh, in a in a data room at the target's office or the client's office. Uh, so yes, uh, there have been situations where we have travelled uh, uh, on like five hours, six hours notices. You were told in the morning that evening you have to go to a particular location, just pack your bags, go. Uh, uh, face situations like that. Uh, before I joined, in fact, my seniors used to tell me that you know they have seen situations and uh, wherein they used to carry a jet airways ticket always with them that used to allow that them to fly anywhere in the company. So they would used to get a call straight away go to airport, present that booklet of tickets, and you know just fly to whatever location they were told. But those situations have changed over time. You know, uh, 
electronic electronic data rooms have gained much much more importance plus uh, acquisitions and divestments of the companies are a really sensitive area and you know no one wants to create too much of noise in, inside their doors about these things so if you have too many consultants visiting everyone starts getting a sense you know as to what's going on so people want to avoid those situations and with the evolvement of technology uh, uh, the electronic data rooms are mostly preferred way of diligence nowadays you will be possibly working 3 4 weeks through uh, through electronic mediums and then it's a decline for a day or a two to get clarifications to present the findings and hence forth uh, so that's how uh, at least the travel bit has evolved and given the covid scenario i don't think anyone is traveling anymore uh, there have been instances where uh, uh, the entire diligence has been completed electronically without giving any physical visit to the target office of the client so so that's how at least the travel bit has uh, uh, evolved it has its own uh, pros and cons while you avoid lot of uh, uh, time in traveling and you you don't go to you, you know you you are not sitting for four weeks or five weeks away from your home and family well that's a that's a good part of it but the a uh, a uh, negative part of it possibly you know that that feeler which you get while being at the office of a target company and the soft aspects which you can pick up in the diligence as to you know how client is answering your questions whether uh, you know they are confident enough in what they are saying or not those aspects you miss right so so it's it's it it has its own to know pros and cons but yes that, that bit has evolved so that takes care of your uh, uh, question on the travel bit as far as working hours are concerned again you know uh, i don't think there is any job where you where you don't uh, uh, need to put in that extra bit of hours to kind of really you know differentiate from what others are doing right you, you would always want to give something extra to your uh, reporting uh, clients or your managers or whoever so whatever job you are in you will naturally try to put in something extra to it uh, with the with the passage of time i have seen that you know at least the hrs and the companies have uh, grown really conscious about this work life balance thing so while uh, i have stints of like 36 hours or 24 hours uh, at a stretch during my audit and uh, diligence days i don't see that happening too often uh, what i have seen in fact uh, with consultants also now they are very very clear when they take up the assignment that you know they would not prefer working on every saturday or every sunday once in a while when the uh, when the report is due it's okay but at least they would don't they take care of uh, you know that aspect so uh, uh, i don't think it's too much of a area which is worrisome but if someone was looking to uh, get into this kind of profile they should not expect that they will not be working on uh, Uh, you know any of the weekends or there will be nine to five kind of a job consultancy anyways it's a demanding job uh, beat any sort of consultancy fair point huh. and uh, so then you say but, that uh, in a lot of effort so does it also come like you get rewards also is the pay growth uh, designation growth the path to director partner very quick uh, there yeah so uh, uh obviously uh, i mean from a from a pay point of view possibly your starting salaries would be much higher uh, than what you get in a normal industry scenario i'm not talking about the unilevers or the pngs but uh, uh, you know on an average basis your starting pay scale would be uh, really good the bonus element could uh, uh, really vary a lot 
and it can be really really rewarding if it's a good year you have performed really well there are good revenues which the firm has generated and of course depending on the overall industry standard as well uh, as far as uh, the path to promotion and uh, partnership is concerned typically uh, you know again uh, uh, it takes 12 to 14 years to get to a partner level but again all these uh, you know uh, uh, companies who are into this uh, diligence uh, uh, field they also suffer from a problem of plenty so you know they also uh, time and again keep on revising their organizational structure wherein they will introduce levels in between and all a partner uh, new partner would possibly now be named as an associate partner or something so so it all depends but 12 to 15 years is what is uh, you know uh, an ideal path to come to a partnership level generally in this in this kind of uh, job profiles got it got it now you shifted then after a due diligence very exciting assignment you shifted to the industry side of the thing your client side as one would say so tata steel so then uh, was it what was your trigger like work life balance or when tata steel was offering a job in calcutta so you said oh hey let me pack my bags and go and meet mom so what was the trigger and what was the difference between uh, industry side of mna and the other side so the trigger for me was uh, uh, you know getting the flavor of a full mna cycle due diligence is only a small part of an entire mnd transaction right when you very where a company identifies a, com, uh, a target entity and went on to acquire it due diligence is possibly uh, i would say 1/5 or 1/6 of the entire uh, you know transaction cycle and depending on uh, you know uh, what is the objective of the acquiring company uh, the importance can increase or decrease so i had always interest in the mnd space and then i wanted to see the other uh, uh, bits and pieces of an mnd transaction life cycle as well so that was the uh, kind of trigger to move into a corporate uh, mnd side because in financial diligence practice i would have never got that uh, experience uh, here in corporate mnd the differentiating factors are you actually see why a particular company is being evaluated the strategy behind that acquisition the way the valuation is built uh, uh, up uh, how negotiations are happening you get to see the legal side of it also wherein you are kind of working with the lawyers to negotiate and finalize a document so those are those were the key triggers for me to uh, uh, move into corporate mnd work life balance of course being one of one of the criteria all right so how was it different then you worked in tata steel now you are working in mahindra and mandra so is financial modeling one major part so we, we discussed that you were not doing financial modeling as part of due diligence but here i think that would be your core kra to actually work on the yes. numbers and suggest the valuation range did that yes. skill you acquired on the work front did you acquire some courses or so and then what are the other attributes of a successful mergers and acquisition professional like networking or is it tough negotiation you look to be a very tough negotiator that way oh i wish <laughs> i i hope my bosses think the same way so <laughs> so yeah see valuation is of course without saying one of the most important aspects for for an mnd professional you cannot be a mnd professional without doing valuation uh, uh uh i mean i cannot speak as to how how much important it is it goes beyond saying uh so that's one skill which you really need to have and as i said earlier for due diligence also it's not that if you're not building the valuation models you can completely ignore that aspect you really need to know uh, how valuation works 
as to as regards picking up the skill is concerned you know uh, uh, i mean you there are several books you can go through all of them but it is only the on on the job training which will help you and the, as much as you continue to work on excel sheets and build those models by yourself discuss with various people as to what really uh, you know you can do with those assumptions and play around those that's how you kind of learn that trick uh, there are several several tools available uh, there are online courses available there are courses by you as well which i found really helpful to at least understand the basics of you know how has to sail through excel sheets to uh, uh, derive a basic financial model but as i said just going by by those books or by tools will not help you you really need to work on an excel sheet in front of you spend hours uh, spend nights on that model and then only you can excel that skill so yes someone who has to be in this space you cannot ignore that aspect and what about those uh, other aspects like share purchase agreements and term sheets yes. and all how does one learn that see i we are not from llb background then how do we learn yes. that integrities see every legal aspect has also a commercial aspect attached to it and that's how i have uh, you know I, and that, that is one particular area about any mnda which excites me most it's about finding the balance between uh, a, a legal issue and and how commercial or non commercial that issue particularly is it again will come with your experience only the more you kind of read various contracts the more you interact with lawyers the more you sit in the negotiation uh, meetings you will keep acquiring those skills but on the hindsight in your mind you have to always play that a particular issue which you are dealing with whether is really that important or that less important where you need to kind of you know spend too much time negotiating Give so okay example. so for yeah so for example wherein you are negotiating a particular representation or a particular now i'm getting a bit technical here i'm not sure how how relevant it will be for the audience but you know uh, you your lawyers uh, will always advise you from a very very legal angle you know whether on a particular issue what would be their legal stand whether for a particular representation whether you know uh, they will point come blank point blank and tell you see from our point of view we don't agree to this because we carry this 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 race now it's a commercial call and then ultimately it's going to fall on the deal uh, team only to ultimately decide on that issue right and there is there you have to kind of apply your experience and acumen that even if the risk actually devolves on the organization is it is it more than the benefits which you are going to derive from that particular amended deal and whether it is worth taking that risk and then you actually take a decision based on that right so your lawyers will always play a supporting role in any amended deal but as a deal maker you should be confident enough to kind of find the right balance between the legal advice and the commercial benefits or losses which can got it uh, arise from that particular advice so so you know it's it's it, it, it you always have to take a very very practical approach to everything you do like a business owner and is there a difference between a buy side transaction and a sell side transaction so buying on behalf of tata steel or selling something on behalf of tata steel does it make a difference it it makes a difference because the whole uh, you know your your glasses of looking at a particular deal changes right when you are buying a transaction a company you would always have a very very conservative approach where you would uh, try to uh, deep dive into every small issue and see how it will impact your particular company once that transaction is closed while you are selling you will always want to kind of paint a very rosy picture and convince the other side 
to kind of bite it's like how you operate in a shop right you for the shop owner you try to uh, you know sell your goods to the customer in any way possible right you will do a hard sell on that is the same same logic but yes uh, uh, one aspect which everyone should keep in mind is here and, and something which i uh, mentioned in the very beginning of the session was you you cannot push it too much ultimately you will have to weigh it against whether what you are selling is uh, uh, really ethical and uh, in an integral manner uh, 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 i mean in an in in integrity uh, way whether it is justified or not you cannot uh, misquote and start selling right because ultimately your uh, agreements will have enough provisions which you know uh, if in future your your uh, statements are found untrue they are going to come back and bite you so so you can do hard sell but then keep those core values always intact and does this profile also give you a lot of visibility like in mnm or in tata steel to sit with the cxos and present uh, so a typical accounting mis profile at the age of 30 35 might not really give you access to a group chairman or a group cfo is that one thing which is a very unique part of mna that is that is of course and that's why you know this profile draws so much of interest from so many people and and it has its charm Uh, uh so you you know any acquisition transaction is something which is not in a day to day activity of any company right so that will be in the direct radar of the mds and cfos and the business leaders of that company who are driving that particular transaction so you will always have to be on your foot uh, uh, uh you know with with possibly are you getting a call with from the md directly and asking as to what's happening on that particular transaction where are we what's going on so you you always have to man- manage that uh it has its own uh, uh, pros and cons uh while that gives you a great visibility that also puts on a lot of responsibility on your shoulders where you really can't make a mistake because once mistake and you are you know people are perception driven right there will be a perception found against you and uh, you really will have to be have to always be on your up game so uh yes uh it 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 gives you really good visibility not only within your organization but uh, you know from from uh, from a networking point of view with various other uh, uh, parties involved in the deal as well right because you will be in any deal dealing with 20 30 different people uh, from various various organizations from the consultants on your side to consultants on the other side to cxos of the other side and you know if you are really good at the, your uh, uh, work then uh, uh, visibility is definitely not a question here but i have one complaint against a corporate mna profile it gives you as much pressure as an investment banking job would give but the salary is the same as that mis or an accounting professional draws <laughs> so again see uh, because from a corporate uh, you know it depends on different corporates how they look at this department from a corporate perspective again when they are looking at a mna uh, department some may hire experts from outside and there the salary differences could be there however there are organizations which prefer to groom internal people into mnd professional and they bring in people from various departments into this same department and likewise people from this department are moved into various roles so you know they want to maintain that salary parity which obviously as compared to investment banking profile usually doesn't work but uh, i mean yeah the, that's something which you have to kind of take in your stride and uh, you know decide as, as to really what you It's very individualistic. Yeah, you kind of feel very jealous when your co- colleague in the other department just says bye bye, Ankit. Uh, 
see you on Monday and you know that you have to sit in office for the whole weekend till night 2 p.m. for the same time. Tensor price. price you pay for your choices, I would say. <laughs> yes, it's a price for the choices for that visibility also to an extent. You That's, get a larger perspective. See, about see, you get a lot of, you get a lot. See, I would, I would again put it like this as to what an individual wants to do, right? I would probably not want to do the same accounting job every day. It, for me, that's, you know, a little mundane. I am not trying to undermine that job uh, in any way. People who do it are really great in what they do. They understand the technicalities there very, very well. And I mean, of course, in today's environment, they are also have to, they also have to deal with so much of, uh, you know, uh, dynamic, uh, dynamic situations wherein the uh, accounting standards or the uh, Index and all ways things. of accounting, ways of auditing are changes every day, right? So they have their own challenges, but I would probably not do that. I am a person who want to evaluate something new every day because every day you have two or three new companies on your desktop to kind of look into, uh, uh, wherein you are updating the senior management as to, you know, what is looking interesting, not interesting, interacting directly with them, getting their perspective. So that for me, I would say could to an extent compensate for the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the salary part yeah and uh, so in terms of the adrenaline rush have transactions that you've closely worked upon finally crossed uh, that signature on the dotted line kind of a milestone any such event you worked in india you worked in the uk that would have been a great achievement right so okay that happens you know if you would have looked at like 10 or 15 transactions probably that will happen on one transaction that's the kind of success rate with which you know usually happens uh, or is there in a corporate setup. So a lot of times we do get bogged down as to But I don't think that's the kind of mindset you should approach this profile with. Uh, you should try and you know have some takeaways from every deal to whatever extent it has gone to uh, uh, from each deal. Uh, whether it's falling at the signing stage or it's falling at a due diligence stage really does not matter. Uh, corporates also do understand and your uh, success rate is not just on the kind of on the number of deals you have closed or the number of deals you have signed. Right? While yes, it has its own charm that finally you know you have closed one deal, you have signed one deal. But uh, uh, I don't think that's really the determining factor. That's not a good metric. I also always keep explaining people that maybe once in a decade an organization is going to do a billion dollar transaction. Right. So I'll give you an example. 2007. Right. So I'll give you an example. In my Tata Steel, I was part of the two large deals. Uh, one of the deals, I mean, both the deals uh, were signed and we were really excited, but none of it closed. So the, while it was a demoting, motivating factor, but then we went back and realized that, you know, even in the process of reaching up to the signing stage, there was so much of learning and so much of growth of the, of the people who are working on the deal has happened. That, you know, the, the demotivating factor of not closing the deal really is a smaller aspect. Of it. Absolutely. Uh, your bosses might not be watching it, I pray that, but is there an exit option from corporate m into investment banking, private equity, VC and all? Do you get uh, from that zone? Not really. Uh, I don't think there is too much of, uh, you know, active uh, seeking which the investment bankers or a private equity guys does. 
uh, in a corporate M&A space. But again, it depends. If you really want to do that, I think you can proactively try and reach out to uh, people in the, those areas. And there is, I won't say that the chances are nil, right? Because there are uh, quite a few people who have moved from a corporate M&A setup to, uh, you know, on the advisory side or on the PE side as well. Uh, uh, but yes, uh, there won't be any, there would, won't be much too active seeking from their side. It is you who have to do it. Actually, the because challenge the, there is because the uh, team size there is also very small. So PEs generally have like 10, 12 people in the entire India team. So that is also true. one challenge. True. So, so it will depend on, you know, uh, uh, how you build up your network, how you reach out to them and then convince the other side on your skill sets. If you are able to do that, uh, 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 there is still a possibility. Now, a uh, lot of MA has happened. Now, let's uh, move to closing thoughts. Um, tell us about uh, one uh, mistake in your life which you would like to like, reverse back or an advice that you would give to Ankit at the age of 20. Mm. See, I think, uh, you know, uh, it's very important to be a little fearless and, uh, you know, go and seek out or at least discuss with people as to what you want to do. Right? Uh, I feel I was not very proactive in doing that. And uh, I mean, though I have somehow managed to crawl up to uh, a stage where I am in my career, but I feel that I, if possibly I would have spent a little more time, uh, you know, uh, and, and now you have means of doing that, right? You can just WhatsApp or call or, you know, seek time over email to those people. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, people also do encourage that. I was not very proactive in doing that to reaching out to several industry experts or, you know, m &A experts in my career uh, and really identify the things which I could have really dif done differently to, to be at a different space, slightly different space. Uh, so that's something which I'll advise youngsters to be, you know, be a little fearless, unhesitant about. Uh, 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 there is no harm in going and seeking active advice from people you know or even strangers who you really believe can help them, help you. But go with a really focused mindset. Don't go with random thoughts uh, and confuse the other side. Uh, I, I feel I was quite focused at that point in time, but, uh, but some advice could possibly have really helped me at that stage. Any bosses you would like to thank on this show? Oh sure, uh, quite a few, and uh, I don't. I, I will not uh, you know like to name the personally because it's a public forum, and I would rather do that yeah. personally to each one of, of them. But the deeds, I mean, in terms of the situations where bosses have really gone out of the way to help you grow in your career. See, uh, if see, I the way I look at it is, you know, uh, you have something to learn from everyone, whether it is a good boss or a bad boss. From a bad boss, you learn things which you really don't want to do in your life. And probably once you reach that stage with your juniors and good bosses obviously give you insights as to, you know, how you can really help a person reach a stage by helping them uh, uh, rather than, uh, you know, uh, kind of really rebuking them for every small mistake or whatever they do. So, so you know, uh, there are good and bad people uh, in every organization. You know, I fortunately have not come across too many bad people. My bosses have always been very kind to me. Uh, it also depends on the way I <coughs> kind of, you know, uh, uh, deal with them. Uh, uh, you have to really understand the psyche of the other person and kind of mold yourself into how you really want to approach those guys. Uh, every person, no one would deliberately want to kind of, you know, do that to them. There are people like that, but very few. Uh, so, so uh, I, I would suggest 
uh, in your choices you have to be really wise in your choice of words in your choice of dealings with them you have to be really wise if you're and and you know that brings me to a very important point people aspect is really a very important aspect uh, in a mnd deal right you really need to understand how a person is thinking and if you're able to track that i don't think uh, you will face too much of uh, problem with your process also oh yes absolutely and sometimes you know when you are in meetings with cxos the first introduction session that five minutes you know that whether this deal is a time pass or they are actually very serious about it and a lot of yes, that sir. you need to read beyond what people speak yeah, is it what do you do for fun and fitness do you spend okay, time for <laughs> fitness is a is a subject which i'm not very uh, too much into uh, but yeah i do try and spend you know uh, few minutes uh, in the morning to kind of at least basic stretching and exercise which kind of keep me at least not sleeping uh, during the day especially in this covid times uh, <laughs> uh, coming to the fun part of it yes uh, uh, now that i work kid was 16 months old i try and spend as much time as possible with him that's the kind of stress buster and possibly the best one uh, during leisure at times uh, though not uh, not uh, getting too much time for it but i used to kind of read a bit uh something into fiction some self help books. books have you read top 3 books are uh, difficult to name but i have been into quite a few self help books uh, i have i was a big fan of uh, robin sharma during my college days and some of the learnings i still the carry from sold his ferrari <laughs> that was one of the boring books which i did not complete <laughs> but there are others uh, from him uh okay. uh so so yeah those are some of the you know self help books which uh, Uh, I used to like a lot. Now I don't read too much of self-help books. I think there is a lot of jam around the ten minutes. Every two minutes video on uh, YouTube can sail through those, you know, uh, motivation stroke. So, yeah, that's about it. Final thoughts. Final thoughts uh, for the audience. I would say, you know, uh, as I said, two things. Uh, be honest with what you're doing. Uh, have a plan in place. Uh, identify two, three career options quite early in your, uh, you know, in your uh, life. Uh, whether you are just starting your articleship or just starting course, identify two, three options here. When you really want to focus, because CA now CA have uh, a CA has a good, good uh, number of options, and you cannot go behind all of those. So you have to identify your interest areas, shortlist two, three of them. work towards them work with all honesty and don't compromise on your uh, integrity don't compromise on your honesty we'll face many situations in your life uh, in your corporate life corporate life especially where possibly uh, you will be directly or indirectly asked to compromise on them and then it becomes a choice where very you really want to do that up. so so approach it in a very pragmatic manner career uh, uh, growth aspirations are important but you decide on your own how important those are absolutely wonderful i mean it has been such an engrossing session we really learned so much about uh, transactions due diligence deals financial modeling ankit thank you so much for sparing time out of it your uh, maybe you would have been given an assignment even for the weekend so mna professionals really don't have a weekend per se but you uh, no, no, i i i hope that at least you know even a few people could benefit from this uh, it will be worth it worth all the time 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't get to do too many sessions as this and share, uh, you know, with a large audience and the kind of reach you have. I hope uh, some people. Yeah, so audience, if you've loved it, please like this. We're also going to launch it on Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, Spotify, etc. The audio part. So maybe you can listen to it while driving back to home or office. So thank you so much. Thanks, Ankit, for being on the show. Stay connected. Bye-bye. Sure, thanks, Anwar.